0: Take a seat, relax, and prepare for a little unnecessary brain surgery, because this is V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My
1: name is Joseph. And I'm also known to go a little too deep into my hobbies. Your co-host, Peter. Peter, what are you watching on television these days, brother? I have collapsed, I've caved in, I've watched everything I wanted to. I got caught up on uh, Invincible, I watched season 4 of Westworld. know, man, I got this apprehension about getting into season two of Witcher. Did you watch it? No, I have not watched season two of Witcher.
0: I also am apprehensive. I I did not hear much about it, which is typically not a
1: good sign. Yeah, well, my problem with the first season was like the audio was impossible to follow. I had to put on the fucking subtitles, but uh, everybody and their mother nonstop cross country skiing, jerking off for all mankind so i finally broke down and did not give apple my money yet somehow i ended up with the episodes in my possession shocking i know who would have thought uh so i started watching that with my wife and um i think it's got some potential we're only one episode in i don't know how science fiction this thing is going to get but i think i think they could do some cool stuff with it it's a big the big question mark in the room is Ronald Moore. And what sort of a leash did this guy have on him? Because I don't know, maybe I need to like check it out. Cause if this dude's unchecked and he's just doing whatever he wants, then maybe I'll save myself the heartbreak of a
0: terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you forgive the, the de- deus ex machina at the end. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Ron, Ron Moore's uh, greatest weakness is not being told what to do. And maybe Apple knows that and, and put some, some limiters on him. although strong move on their part to to get him as a guide to do a TV show for them a space
1: TV show too they got Joel Kinman in that which uh, you might know from Suicide Squad but then there's this other guy playing Deke and I can't remember what his name is but it's the sheriff from True Blood oh okay yeah 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 and I want to say he was also in Children's Hospital off uh, Adult Swim real hard when you got people with a strong comedy pedigree uh, to try and go into a serious role. Like I'm having a very difficult time accepting this guy as a NASA badass. I,
0: we've had so many recommendations to us of like, you guys would really like strength uh, really like for all mankind. It checks all the boxes. I'm inclined to believe it given uh, the the kinds of talent that are involved. So I may join you here shortly on that. Although I, I have to make the decision if I'm going to like, Watch seasons two and three of Orville so that we can
1: talk about it. You need to watch season two and three of Orville. Before. Does that, should that be my priority? <laughs> Absolutely. It should be everybody's priority. If you're listening to this right now, and I know there's some people out there say, I tried watching Orville season one, the comedy, whatever, like. Suck it up, get through it. The comedy fades off uh there's solid ass episodes in season one and season two comes out throwing haymakers <laughs> season three's even further from comedy it's good stuff trust me
0: well now, now that the house of the dragon's over i have the time
1: well how'd that end up since we're spoiler alert <laughs> this is gonna be a rough episode of uh enterprises yeah. stretch out 10 Let, hours l- l- let's be clear we're gonna talk
0: about an episode of enterprise this week there just might not much be much to talk about, so if you want an hour of content out of us, you're going to have to endure some chit-chat about other television shows, probably a bit. Mm. We could start We could start talking about Peter's kids. I could tell you about work. I don't know. We can get to an hour. I can tell you about my latest uh, playing of WoW Classic,
1: I guess. Like, Well, real quick, since we're talking <laughs> video games real fast, it's been a while since we've gone to the old uh, trailer park holodeck. Now that it's cold out, I got the quest back out. And boy, is is meta slash Facebook getting taken behind the fucking uh, woodshed on this metaverse thing? People don't understand what it is. As they deserve. Uh, Yes and no. Maybe that's its own thing. But anyways, I got Star Wars Squadrons. If there is an application for a VR headset, it is a fucking flight simulator. And doing Star Wars... X-Wings and TIE Fighters in VR is fucking amazing. That game was actually not that impressive to me as a PC
0: title. And I got told by someone that we both know to try it in VR. And I even went and got the cable specifically to do that with. And I, what got me addicted to the game for a while was the first time I looked up. And I like saw the stars and like was able to like follow the, the space fighter that was following me by like literally watching and then and then trying to. I mean, like it got me immersed, right? You had that moment of true immersion, and then it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. This is how this game's supposed to be played.
1: The sense of scale, as I was flying in an X-wing and just turned my head to the left, and all I could see from one end of my field of view to the other was Star Destroyer, was amazing. That was yeah. That was really something else. So I've been playing through that. I've been very happy. It's the first time I've been able to consistently kill the battery on that Mm -hmm. uh, without feeling like VR woozy fatigue. Uh, Really cool. I'm I'm glad I've had an opportunity for that. And speaking of flying around on. Well, I didn't tell you about House of Dragon. I know I was trying to. Trying to avoid it. No, I was. I was giving you a runway. I was going to pivot in. My wife watched all of it. Really? Okay. What was Casey's take? Uh, I told her that you and Jason Clark shit all over the second to last episode. She got very upset at me for for spoilers. I just thought there's no spoilers. She's like, "Now, now what are you thinking about what your friends hated about it? She really liked it. And her viewpoint through that is that she felt it was a story written by a woman for other women.
0: Yeah, there was definitely a more deft hand to the show in regards to treating women a little bit more generously. Like Game of Thrones got pretty notorious through its run where it was so abusive to women to try to prove what a crap sack world it was that it became farcical and in like a very negative way. And this one's like, okay, well, we still have this high medieval fantasy world where being a woman sucks and we can't have, you know, like it's, can't get away from that. This is the way it is, but that doesn't mean we have to be openly abusive of our female characters
1: all the time. She was more to the point of like, there's a lot of plot elements to childbirth, uh mm-hmm. child, like dying in birth, awkward marriages. Uh, consistently her commentary through the, the episodes that she would talk to me about stuff was that stuff that I never even heard you refer to. Uh, in your rants about it. So yeah, there was like, there's a lot of
0: politics of gender politics and a more substantial understanding of the female perspective in the show than it had before, but not in a way that felt forced or like quote unquote woke or something that would drive an audience away. If that makes sense, it was skillfully done to have broadened the appeal of the show and it helped the narrative by making, a bunch of your characters feel like more than set dressing that it's not just like a story about a bunch of dudes doing
1: dude things. So how did it end out uh thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up overall.
0: Um, the ninth episode is kind of rough there at the end. They do finally pull like what I would call a season eight move and do something for spectacle rather than reason, but it is really singularly the only moment of the show that takes you out of what's going on and it ends strong. And my, my, you know, there's a lot to like a, a, to love about it. There's particularly a strong performance in the part of the guy who placed the King Viserys, uh, Patty Consdean or something like that. I've never even heard of the guy before he's on the show. He's amazing. Um, and a lot of great allowing the audience to just kind of be respected, figure things out and, and be, be, be uh, uh, shown rather than told things a lot of the time. And a lot of narrative through lines that, you get to just experience and you can tell that the the, the creative team behind this knows like this is w- the wavelength we want to be with with this show. We don't, we're not trying to make something that is what Game of Thrones turned into, which is something that everyone could watch. And it was like it turned into a total crowd pleaser, right? That was the problem with the show is it got too much like that. They are way back up in the more cerebral territory where you're like – you know, big through line of the season is the kids in particular that they emulate their parents and the behaviors, their parents are demonstrating to them through their actions, except these behaviors are very like brinksmanship and court politics and all of that. And they're very adept at it. And they're playing this game of brinksmanship with each other, but the kids are like fucking bad at it because they're fucking children. (laughs) And, that has consequences when you're dealing with, you know, a bunch of children who are inheritors of these castles or these legacies or dragons. And and in the end, you know, the final climax of the season has a lot to do with that through line having a big payoff. Unless you're Vince Gilligan, I don't think you're making a show that smart right now. And so it was really refreshing to watch. Maybe I will be convinced that there is another show like that when I watch For or All Bum. Mankind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about a television show that is not smart? uh We're contractually uh, obligated to do so, so we might as well. well bang this I, out. If
1: we're going with smarts, I thought you wanted to go to uh, Bit Hell for a quick Oh, yeah, round yeah, of yeah. We gotta,
0: we here. gotta get the bit in here because we're See only eleven minutes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we All need
1: right, we'll more go. time. How long does Kirk's interrogator say Kirk will be locked up for breaking into the Air Force base in nineteen sixty nine? From the episode tomorrow is yesterday.
0: Okay, I remember this episode,
1: but I certainly don't remember the singular line where this was mentioned. So I'm going to say 50 years. 200 years. He figures that'll be just about the right time to get him back to where he belongs. What does Yeoman Rand get the opportunity to do when the Psi 2000 disease incapacitates the bridge crew? This is the naked time. Does she fly the ship? Yes, she does. She takes the helm. Good on you, Joe. I remember that one. Okay. Elan, leader of the planet Elas, held the title of, this is Elan of Troyes. Archon? <laughs> I mean, I could I could be right. Just a Justicar?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Dolman. I mean, you know, it was a fair guess. I think the word Archon has been used in Star Trek before. Oh, I'm sure. As Gillian leaves for her new science vessel, what bit of technological code did Kirk point out that Gillian was remiss in providing? This isn't the Voyage Home. Oh, her phone number. That's two, Joe. I'll be damned. Bad.
0: That's the best Uh-oh. I've done.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shame on you! You're 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 catching up with some of our listeners.
0: I, you know the the phone number bit though, like that was actually one of the more memorable, like
1: the the
0: the very the eighties of it all. And and that she came back with them. Something that never got followed up in canon at all, by the way. There was a total temporal prime directive violation and no one gave a shit about, apparently.
1: Those, uh, well, no, I guess the 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 temporal police can reach pre-TOS if they're in here fucking around in Enterprise. And unfortunately, that's where we're heading right now. Season two, episode nine, Singularity. This uh, came out November 20th, 2002. A dark day in human history. <laughs> Written by Chris Black, directed by Patrick Norris. Remember last week when you're like,
0: oh, maybe that Brandon and Brega are on this. It'll be better.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about this episode high level here, um, especially in the wake of the past couple turds that we have gotten. I will say that this one came off as perhaps a little bit boring, but I didn't think it was awful.
0: Not awful, uh, but I would call it
1: extremely boring, pointless to to a certain extent. Well, here's a term we haven't used in a long time, although it wouldn't be by our definition a bottle episode. It would be a definition bottle episode by TV tropes, minus the fact the galley gets introduced, and I don't think we've seen the galley before, and I think uh, chef's bitch Cunningham. Yes. I haven't seen uh,
0: him before either.
1: So not a technical, a true true to the letter of the TV Tropes law bottle episode, but TV Tropes is not law in our house.
0: They're not rec- in our house. Rec- we're, talking about,
1: at best. we're talking about what these animals do in the Outlands, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's confined to Enterprise. It's primarily composed of our standard cast members. There's no real... Special guest star occupying any role other than, like we said, uh, the assistant cook steward or whatever the fuck he would be. Uh, but for us, there are lasting consequences of the things that happen here, specifically Red Alert, right? Mm-hmm. And some other good world building here. But in the end, it's low stakes. And that's something we keep coming back to with a lot of these Enterprise episodes. Not only do we know, because of common sense, that Enterprise is going to survive pretty much every single encounter it gets into, uh, but they've reinforced it with uh, Time Zuckerberg. Archer's a big deal. Uh, there's a There's a fate. Enterprise is going to be pivotal in the evolution of mankind. So when it's stuff like, oh, no, the ship's going to be sucked into a, a, a black hole and destroyed. It's like, oh, well, I know it's not. <laughs> you know, and here's
0: the thing. We knew that Voyager wouldn't be sucked into a black hole either. You know, like, we, you know that. That's part of the tension is not in thinking, oh, Enterprise, Voyager, whatever is going to get sucked into the black hole. It's how are they going to escape this? Like how, what is the solution to the conundrum that they're in and what is going on and how did it happen and what are we going to
1: learn and all of that? How are we going to grow our relationships? Because now that we have continuity and feelings can stick around and and grow. I've been mm-hmm. thinking a lot about our conversation maybe two episodes ago, or maybe it was the last episode that a very fair way to to create a currency of consequence in Enterprise would be uh, the judicious application of crew death and the yes. impact that it could have on Archer and the rest of the bridge crew as they see that their decisions they make far away from home uh, have very real repercussions. And as they write the book on space exploration for Starfleet that there's a right way to do things. And there's a way to do things that gets people killed.
0: And I will say that when this show makes its turn and its quality level starts to exponentially increase, that lesson does ultimately get learned, but that is what's making these episodes so difficult to get through. Because as someone who decided to watch enterprise, only, I only ate the frosting off the cake my first time through and then came back later and started eating kind of like the dry cake Just bits that were left over afterwards.
1: licking the uh, old gum stuck to the bottom of the desk that you had put the cake on top of.
0: It's like it's, it's so much more obvious to me now, particularly doing it in this format where I have to watch the episode. I have to really like think about what happened and then talk about it for an hour where I'm like, these are just whether they're bad, whether they're exploitive, whether there's just quality problems at different levels of production, or in this case, just boring and not very engaging or interesting. You can see why no one watched the show by the time it was good. And then it ended up canceled not long after that. And, and that's what disheartens me. Like, yeah, there's a couple of fun little notes here about Reed inventing Red Alert. And once again, a moment of continuity or two references to past episodes. It's nice for the, them that they keep in mind. Otherwise, this is it's like a comedy episode with no comedy in it. You know, it's it, that's what, like the structure it is. This was if there was a way to do this where everyone was like comically obsessed with some minutia and that like there's some enjoyment was found in. In to Paul navigating this clearly absurd circumstance, instead they play it straight as like a as a as a thriller. It's like there's something wrong. There's stakes, and there's this big space conundrum they have to solve. And it's just disengaging and boring, and you just can't. You're just checking your watch and you wait for it to be over. Did it offend me? No, but it also like the episodes that are offensive to the senses are more fun to talk about. Like I can talk all day about the shadow nipple in carbon Creek, right? That shit was fascinating to see in real time. I can talk all day about a night in sick bay and all of the choices that went into that one. As, As much as that might've angered us, you know, this, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to really talk about it. Like there's a space conundrum. They set up the stakes like they're going to visit this black hole with the and this trinary star system. And there's lots of gravity. So it's, you know, they're, they're approaching it. And then there's a special kind of radiation that makes everyone go crazy. Except they don't go crazy in an interesting way or a funny way. They go crazy in an annoying way where they all get obsessed with minutia and then pass out. Until until Archer gets a cold shower and helps bail them out of their problem with T'Pol. Like, oh, okay, I guess.
1: that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not scoring any fucking points. Let's go back to continuity for a moment. Do you think that had we not watched Voyager previous to this, if this was the first Star Trek podcast that we did, or say that we had watched TNG first, do you think that the continuity that we see in Enterprise would stand out at all? Or do you think that... Truly required Voyager's awful homeostasis to 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 make us notice it. The continuity in Enterprise that is, Enterprise
0: is only second to DS Nine in its continuity and adherence therein. So even if we had watched uh, TNG first, I think it would have struck us as interesting. That, that they were so dedicated to it.
1: TNG but, might not have had the strongest continuity, but because uh, the Enterprise-D was always in the alpha or beta quadrants, it was never unfathomable. Like, you never had to ask the question, where'd they get all their photon torpedoes? Where'd the new shuttlecraft come from? Why isn't the ship still fucked up from, you know, its encounter with the Borg or whatever, right? It was a truly episodic television show. Like, you could... The reset between episodes was much more distinctly occurring there because the premise permitted it, like you said, that they're in civilized space. It's not, there's no mental gymnastics they have to go into. Why is everything fine again? Speaking to this singularity specifically, we're going to go ahead and open up with a quick pan of the ship. We're going to see people knock the fuck out all over the place. Uh, We see that the captain's chair is missing. My first thought was, "Oh, did Ferengi steal furniture off the bridge again?" Because the last time in acquisition, they knocked everybody. Out. God, what if, what if this episode was just Enterprise getting got by, by Ferengi again? This is basically the same load up, right?
0: The crew gets you know, knocked out. This time out. they they trapped them in this like this radiation spot next to this black hole, so they could steal all their shit back, slave their women. Just like they intended the first time. I got you this time.
1: Only this time they come back like rated R and it's it's ugly. It's like mean serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, Frankie. Everybody's knocked out. But wouldn't you know, to Paul, luckily is still up. The fate of the future of humanity resting solely in her Vulcan palms. Thank God they've got her on board. She's immune to whatever the problem is. In fact, she thinks that uh, even though she is still fine, the ship is still doomed, and she's only taking logs uh, for the good of Starfleet as they come through to investigate the wreckage.
0: The whole thing is is done as a log entry, as you see the carnage, and continues in Act 1, and eventually we flash back to before all this happened, and as mentioned, the Anax 01 is setting course for a trinary star system that is orbiting a black hole which is a unusual combination of celestial features and as a result enterprise is going to take a look scan it and and record it and have a little science discovery time but they have to do it in impulse because the gravimetric shear is so intense they gotta they gotta pilot very specific course to get in there this gives them time to attend to other tasks which becomes important because each of the little tasks that the main cast members are provided in this episode ends up being their obsessive compulsive thing. They focus on to a would be comedic and is instead played straight fashion. Hoshi fills in for a sick uh, chef and makes like a, a, some, an Asian rice dish uh, and then becomes obsessed with perfecting it after she gets criticism uh, you get Reed out there trying to make an a an alert, uh, tactical alert, um, basic protocol that everyone would follow to immediately go to battle stations and then uh, you know prepare the weapons and and be ready for conflict because they end up banging it out so often with their crappy torpedoes. And Trip is asked to fix the captain's chair because it's not very comfortable. It's not comfortable. And Archer is writing the preface to the book about his dad. And he only gets a page. So he has to be brief. And he's not sure what to do. These are the tasks that everyone has. And then Phlox winds up uh, with Mayweather in the uh, sick bay because Mayweather has a headache. That's their pairing. So everyone's got a thing. And then the rest of the episode is them becoming violently obsessed with their thing over time. That's it. That's that's what you spend the next thirty minutes doing.
1: Like I said, I, I didn't think it was a bad episode. I didn't hate watching it, and compared to what we've we've been, <clears throat> it was a welcome departure back into some more fringe type. God, even calling it fringe sci-fi, just sci-fi at all, not not action-oriented sci-fi. Let's call it that. Some light outer limits stuff.
0: Uh yeah, I'm down int- for some space horror. I'm not trying to bag on it cuz it's like back to
1: that um no. space horror, you know, mode. This just wasn't very well executed. Your criticisms are all perfectly founded. And the comedy beats you're talking about really start to bleed through with Trip, who has arguably the most ridiculous obsession in this Because, as you said, he's been tasked with fixing the captain's chair, and that goes from making it not feel like Archer is going to fall out of it to now he's going to redesign it from the ground up. So it has like cup holders, uh, rubs Archer's balls and, you know, has its own inertial dampeners, connects him to the fucking Internet, like uh, the Barkley holographic chair. And half the time, I feel that. Trips delivering these lines. He's got this little impish smile. Like. Like he thinks it's funny. As he's relaying these lines out there. Yeah. I think, nobody the, else- I think
0: Colin Trenier thought it was funny. Like
1: he he didn't know it was supposed
0: to be played straight. <laughs> it, so everybody else is playing it straight. And he's like trying to like be a little comedic. Because his is the most ridiculous. And it doesn't work. Because like Hoshi. Hoshi's is probably just as ridiculous, right? Like uh, she feels in for chef. She gets a comment from Reed that it was too salty. And then she's just like yelling. She's fucking Gordon Ramsay in there telling people to fuck off and leave <laughs> and refusing to serve anyone until
1: it's perfect. And- what else has Patrick Norris done? Because I almost feel like. With some different lighting, uh, maybe some different music that you could have broached space horror a lot more uh s- scary than what we actually got.
0: If there people you, were
1: yeah. If people were working their hands to the bones if if Hoshi was getting covered in like burns as she was in the kitchen uh if there was a little bit more psychosis like yeah, they need to go full Twilight Zone where they're
0: like really losing it. They're really going psychotic. And instead of just getting obsessed, like the closest they get is Phlox. Phlox is. becomes so obsessed with the idea of Mayweather's headache that he's going to actually lobotomize him, which, you know, you tell me if that would make a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> To this intellectual capacity, I don't know. Like, I just he'd listened. still have that gun show. Like, he, I'm really, nine tenths of the reason that that man's on the ship would still be be
1: perfectly there. I just listened to Senator Kelly Strikes Back, and the standout feature of that episode is how good Mayweather comes out looking in that episode. It's true. The sad part of this episode, Singularity, for me was that he gets right back into the shitty dialogue delivery and and falls back in the hole um had flocks been paired with a rando crewman and actually had like scalp peeled back skull open and was fucking around in someone's like frontal lobes yeah we could go like real dark with this but again or or even if
0: you don't even if you don't want to go that far
1: right like to follow on that thread
0: what if it is hoshi That is the patient. And like, the thing is, is like Mayweather is like super able to resist flocks and it requires a BA Baracus level to drink this milk and get on the helicopter moment for him to be like subjugated to this potential brain surgery. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of ridiculous. What if it's Hoshi who has a, a positive relationship with the doctor comes in, has the headache, and she's much less able to resist him forcing himself on her in terms of what he wants to do. And it becomes much more like horrible and violative as a consequence and maybe even potentially damages their friendship, you know, in the aftermath. And, you know, they have some time to to rebuild that. And all of, like you, you, they, they missed on making it comedic by just not playing it for laughs and then they missed on it being horrific by making everything too petty and weird and stupid and not making it horrible.
1: People weren't crazy, they were just bitchy.
0: Yes. Yeah, he came Reed off as is a real
1: bitch. Trips a bitch. Archer's a bitch. Oh, she's a Flox bitch. is nuts.
0: Yeah, Flox is
1: crazy and he's the only one and then Mayweather, his onset is just, I need to reprogram the astrometrics computer or, or some real low stake stuff. Cause that's, I'm going to
0: get written up if I don't finish it. I got to go do my like, job.
1: I did like that during the Flocks Mayweather pairing that Flox wanted to go deep on the scans because he was concerned about lingering effects from the repair station and dead stop. Yeah great, and the neural great continuity note like
0: you you would think that might be going somewhere
1: you know yeah like had they just went full goofy slide whistle music comedy like what's the last like real stupid comedy episode that we had
0: all right well nothing i would say so far in season 2 qualifies as a true comedy episode unless you unless you are the kind of person who thinks that a Night in Sick Bay is comedy, which if you are the kind of person, uh, never admit that to anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that you think that it's very important that you hide this part of yourself I forever. Guess,
1: carbon. So free that no, with- one,
0: no, that was that was played relatively straight as There's like stuff
1: just, on the ship with her jerk and uh, trip and, and, and uh, yeah. archer around two days and two nights is probably the answer. Absolutely, yeah, had they gone and really embraced the comedy or made this comedy uh that it would have been a a fair entry into silly space madness. The only other real space madness episode I think we've had was uh reefer Madness, which was what strange new worlds, yeah, that was very early in season one. A.K.A. that time that uh, T'Pol had to shoot Trip. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> the way team learns about e- Eerie for Madness. So this is really just the worst of both worlds. Uh, I, I, again, I'm, I'm struggling for things to talk about here. Yeah,
0: I mean, we were not lying to you, our audience, when we said what, we're really not sure what we're going to say about this because we've said it all. Reed gets very like
1: uh, uh, bitchy and uh, justifiably so. Like, his arguments, like when he confronts Archer and says, You know, you're running a sloppy ship. Here's what everybody in the audience has been seeing We're never ready for fights. We get our asses kicked all the time. And despite the fact that we are not a warship, that we are a ship of peace, we sure do get in a lot of fights.
0: He even Maybe brings we up need- a really
1: good point about alien infiltration. <laughs> like everyone should have command
0: codes and everything should be locked down. And you never know when a soul is going to be
1: cloaked on our fucking ship. I'm sitting there and I'm like, <laughs> they're trying to paint this dude as paranoid. But like, he's just real talking, real he's hard just right fucking now. Right.
0: This <laughs> is correct.
1: This guy's paying attention. I don't blame him. And, you know, spoiler by the end of the episode. Uh, as they're flying the ship to safety, rocks start hitting the holes, which triggers automated red alert, brings up the phasers, and they're able to shoot their way out. Uh, I Since we're just jumping around because it's it's hard to find shit to talk about here, by the time the crew passes out, it was unclear if like the radiation knocked him out or if T'Pol was like, okay, I just had to knock the doctor out before he cut fucking Mayweather's face open these people are becoming a danger to themselves. Knockout gas. Knockout <laughs> knock gas, yeah. Yeah, just knock them all out. Until we have to wake up Archer out of radiation poisoning with a shower and some shitty coffee.
0: I, I feel like uh, they just got uh, uh, plot gas <laughs> instead of knockout gas, like convenient fainting uh, uh, radiation. But yeah, the the... the I would say the weakest part of the episode is to Paul's like, I need someone to help me or someone to go get Archer. And then the solution she comes up with is throwing him into the shower and saying, drink this coffee. It is going to help you pilot the ship while you're sick from radiation. Like there needed to be a plot beat where she discovered something about this that she's able to use to get Archer
1: out of it, but doesn't have enough time to get everyone out of it. Yes, I can synthesize a blocker, but I can't do it on a mass scale. I get one person. The fact that she pulls Archer out of psychosis is also ridiculous because she is going to be flying through basically a black hole obstacle course, which I would say you would want Mayweather because he's your fucking pilot. And also you just saw him beat the shit out of Senator Kelly. So maybe Mayweather might actually be clutch in, in tight situations. The real answer should have been trip because they, not that they've touched on this in a while now, but you know, they had started fostering this special relationship between the two of them. Uh, trip is mechanically inclined and I think probably a pretty good pilot. He's usually the one flying the shuttle craft and stuff. And they put in, uh, the one episode, uh, scene where like trip ends up in her quarters and he gets real snippy. Uh, There's some antagonism there. And that's really when to starts becoming aware that something's wrong with the crew. Um, So I, I figured they were going to have some s- part of the episode where they're going to reconcile and he was going to like basically apologize to her, but that never happened.
0: I, I mean, even picking Archer is fine. And he's the captain. He's the main character of the show. He's probably a good pilot in his own respect. And you can count Mayweather out because, like, the doctor fucked with him. And he's like, I, I don't know what the fuck to do with this, you know, this knockout juice that he gave Mayweather. I don't know how to counter that. I can just counter the the uh, the radiation. Could have acknowledged that in dialogue somehow. and been like, well, uh, you know, I trust the captain. He's the captain of the vessel. He should be the one that's helping me. So I'm going to get him. We're going to do this. It's just that um, instead it's, I need someone to help me. Cut to throw this man in the shower. Here is coffee. He's like, oh, I feel like a teenager to drink too much beer. I'm like, well, keep drinking coffee. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to fly the ship out of here. Kind of. That, that's it. That's all that happens.
1: Thinking more about other Space Madness episodes. Jumping back to TNG, The Naked Now. I'm surprised they didn't go that direction with this because I thought Naked Now was a really good example, especially for season one next gen in a silly manic behavior from the crew, obsessive behavior from the crew uh, being very unsettling to watch. Not to mention the fact that there was a very sexy uh, primal lust component, which I would have thought that. Enterprise writers would have been all over, but I, again, I feel like
0: they probably are ducking that because that episode is so notorious for being like such a bad TNG episode. Did you think it was, I
1: thought it was a good one?
0: I. I think it's fine. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's I think actually, honestly, TNG season one is picked on way too much i don't think it's that bad at all i think there's some real cheesiness yeah, some 60s cheese in there because a lot of the scripts and the original writers were like either holdovers from tos or like actual scripts from tos Maked
1: now specifically was uh yeah.
0: was, was like a, a sequel you know to to an actual tos episode so the th- that i think tars people's perception of it because it's su- it has such cheese but it's fine it's entertaining everyone's actually quite interesting in it and even if they, their characters are wildly different as time goes on that's actually part of the reason it's interesting to watch like it was funny watch, that- watch how picard is in the pilot it's it's like this man is a military officer he is fucking calling balls and strikes he's making yeah. people stand at attention he is he's doing it you know like it's actually kind of neat but anyway Uh, I think they avoided it because they're like, oh, this was a a notorious episode and this is too much. It's too far. It's too obvious. They want to be sexy without having to resort to that kind of
1: trope. No, they just stooped to many others. I think ultimately they didn't go with the sexy element here at all because uh, Braga and Berman were completely divorced from this episode from the creative standpoint.
0: Yeah, if they wrote this, there would have been a lot more fucking,
1: or at least or at least the implication therein. Yes, paul would have been subjected to the radiation as well and she would have been obsessed with uh perfecting a I don't know. A twerking routine or something. I so I know we're only forty two minutes in. Well I um, do want to mention that by the end, uh when they're you know everything's Resolving there was a triumphant return of what has now become my favorite set piece. I am going to call it uh, Archer's dinner potty,
0: <laughs> yes, the infamous uh like misshapen Perkins booth that he has in his <laughs> fucking quarters like uh one of our discord members doug eighty nine uh picked out the f- the the pictures from the ad episode after our review full of it went up. And put it on our Discord, and it's it was good good to capture it like in still image, so everyone could soak it in, you know, and be like,
1: this is this is it, this is the design choice they went. with. This is where he eats dinner. This is where he takes dumps. It, I mean, that table it locks you in, man. Mm-hmm. It's right, right up Cardassian hallway in my book. Yeah, he, he calls. He was, uh,
0: he was at the table, like writing his fucking dissertation on his dad, right.
1: I thought that was one of the more interesting parts of the episode. Uh, He has this. Because they haven't really done much with his dad other than the occasional "oh, the Vulcans held my father back like bitchiness. It reminded me that the first scene of Broken Bow was him playing with the model ship talking to his dad, right?
0: Yeah, you know, that was from Broken Bow.
1: So there's do they really flesh their relationship out more? I would say no. It it remains well Archer's
0: relationship with his dad remains important to him and you learn more about it, but it is also treated very much as a part of his past and never really made too urgent to the story.
1: I think an interesting character trait for Archer could have been ultimately he wasn't the best captain that they could have put on Enterprise, that his bitchiness and his petulance was well known by Starfleet, but he got the job because his dad made Warp 5 possible but didn't get to realize it, and it's like Starfleet fulfilling a promise to the Archer family that they would get them in the start. So some sort of like you only got this ship because your dad was a big deal and Archer knows it. And that's like something he has to grow past. They do an
0: episode. I think actually in this season where you get more of the origin story of Archer's career trajectory. And obviously they do not develop that as a plot point, which i I wish they would have. Because it would be, it would make a lot of sense. Because Admiral Forrest clearly knew his dad. Admiral Forrest, like, thus favors his friend's son during his career and puts him in position to be the captain of the vessel that serves as his father's legacy. Yes, and at some point, like, he's privy to, oh, you know, there was real competition for this, and you know, there were other worthy candidates, and he has self doubt as to his his competency as a captain on this vessel, and maybe. You know, Hernandez or someone else could have done better uh, if they had been selected instead. Uh, They do not, unfortunately. I'm sorry to tell you that this very excellent idea you have is not one they develop. But I mean, like,
1: I could. Archer, I think, has been written unintentionally bad and portrayed in a way that's so unflattering, not by design. And, and if 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 there was that just that moment of realization of like, I have to grow up, uh, I have to do better. I have to become worthy of this, like and and move past that. I'd really respect the TV show for doing it. But instead, it's it's this projection of a cowboy and it's just shitty. And uh, I'm right up there with you as uh, hating Archer. I did want to tie back to Hoshi for a quick second. The scene where Archer comes in, uh, petulance ablaze, where's the food? And then she's like, it's not ready yet. Go make yourself a fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, if that doesn't have ex-girlfriend written all over oh, it. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Come on. There, you only say that because you <laughs> you know this. That you, you, you've said that before, Hoshi. You have said that before to this man and that is why you two aren't together anymore.
1: <laughs> Go make a ham sandwich and fuck off. Like yeah. make your own goddamn dinner.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right.
1: You're absolutely right. Ex-girlfriend
0: 100%. So we'll we'll lock it in. We're locking it in as canon. Hoshi and Archer used to be a couple. They used to bang. And that is
1: why she's she on dumped the ship him. And she
0: gets and Yeah, she dumped him. And that's why she gets away with whatever she fucking wants to get away with.
1: Let me let me just flesh out my my fantasy uh, rewrite for Archer here. Uh, everybody in Starfleet knows that Archer uh, is a petulant man child. Everybody knows that Archer only got Enterprise because of his dad uh, was friends with his because his dad was a big deal. And Admiral Forrest uh, was playing some nepotism. And it's Hoshi that finally points it out and connects the dots and says, you only got this job because of your dad. Uh, Everybody knows you're a bitch and you need to 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 buck up and be a man and be something that, you know, your crew can be proud of. And that becomes his turning point.
0: And, And the reason she left him is because of those same traits. You know, like they were together and she's he just like, she kind of got tired of him being a met- petulant man child. And, you know, she she wants to be on the ship. She wants to do the job. And She's got all these conflicts and she kind of buried it. And and eventually it all just comes to a head at some point where she finally was like, you know why I left you? This is why. Because you act like this. Do you want to be the, <laughs> do you, it's like, do you want to be the captain of, of the Warp 5 vessel or not?
1: Mm-hmm. Start acting like it. Start acting like a man instead of a fucking child. Where are you putting that episode uh, season one or season two? The lost episodes. This episode that we are describing. Yeah.
0: I feel like it's in. I feel like it's got to be in season one. I
1: don't think so much stuff. There's been so much petulance in season two. I mean, it has to be after all of this, unless he's sliding backwards and it starts showing his old bad habits again. I do agree that something like this to
0: make the turn makes more sense in season two, given what we've seen. But you would hope that that kind of character growth would happen early. But yeah, let's assume like he's he's on his A game in season one to the degree he can, but it's starting to wear on him and his old habits are coming back and he's kind of being bitchy. And he's kind of being just very bad managery and... And Hoshi sees it coming, right?
1: Let's make it an arc. It'll be a three, a three episode arc with something early season two, where she, where it starts really bleeding through the middle of season two, where she's like, you need to knock it off. This is why I left you. And then deeper into season two, where he finally uh, puts his big boy pants on and stops acting like a bitch.
0: Yeah. Like the re the reopening of that wound where she's like, he's like, well, you told me it was this. I was like, no, it was because of this, Jonathan, it was because of everything you're doing right now that I knew I couldn't be with you anymore. You know? And if I wanted to preserve our friendship, if I wanted to preserve this opportunity for us to go do this so that I could, I could be your translator and and make this historic journey, I had to leave. And I thought if I gave us distance and you could continue to grow and this would work and it looked like it was, but it's, it's not Jonathan, it's not working and you need, you need to change. Because you're losing everyone on this crew, and we're too far away from Earth to allow that to happen. So here I am telling you to buck the fuck up. Oh yeah, and then and then he has that, and he's like ruminating on it, and he's kind of being bitchy
1: about it. And then Tepal Paul reaffirms everything. Maybe they're in another yeah. workout session, and like the same way she was grilling him in a night and sick she's like, yeah, e- or e- trip.
0: E- I think it's actually a bro that has to be like, she's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like trip's like. You know, I'm your best friend, but she ain't fucking wrong, bro. Like you've been, you've been a real bitch. You need to you need to straighten this out. People you need to still remember
1: the the dog incident and you being more concerned about your dog being sick than us not having enough warp coils. All right. Uh, yeah, these these episodes are, are hard and it's funny. Sometimes they pack so much stuff in an episode where there's just a million things to talk about. I think it's the the episodes that are narrated by log entries. Things happen, but there's not a lot of things to talk about. It's an interesting st- framing difference. The
0: reason why we struggled to come up with genuine content out of the episode is, okay, so there's like 15 minutes of Trip acting like a psycho when it comes to the goddamn chair, right? What am I? What do we got to say about that, right? It, even like the structure of it isn't the problem. It's the actual content, you know? Like... What am I going to say about Trip acting a a fool about making a new super chair, and in the end he just lowers it a little bit, and then that's the solution to making the chair comfortable for for (laughs) Archer? There's nothing. There's nothing there, except to just say exactly what I just said in forty five seconds. The the art of doing these reviews, what we've did, we what we have found out over hundreds and hundreds of of examples, is. The joy comes in making all the connections and reading into what's going on that the writers have placed into this material and then extrapolating in the way that we like to extrapolate to to comments on what the episode is doing. This doesn't have any of that. This is space madness. Here is what we've decided to do. Okay, that's it. It's just Reed is an asshole. Hoshi's a bitch. Trip is a weirdo. And Flox is a psycho. Got it. Nothing, And at the end, everyone's back to normal. And there isn't really an impact except what? T'Pol learned that she can Vulcan pinch a denobly and it works. Reed may have invented red alert. Okay. Got it.
1: What are we watching next week? We're getting back into Berman and Braga territory. We're going into season... Two episode 10, Vanishing Point, following her first experience with the Transporter, an eerie series of events makes Hoshi think she is becoming invisible to the rest of the crew. Now, that's the kind of space madness I can get down on. This is actually one I think you will you will vibe on quite, quite heartily for a number of reasons. Good. I'm ready for. I'm, I'm ready for something legitimately good. We've had. Some okay ones that I've been clinging to here, but we—I I, yeah. need—I need good sci-fi. I need good Star Trek. Something you have focused on, and uh, not just an Enterprise. So, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, this is good. I actually, now that I remember what this one's about, I think uh, we'll have quite a discussion next week. But I'll make it for this one. <laughs> oh Jesus! Thanks for <laughs> hanging out while we talked about uh a, you know a bunch of other shows and using VR headsets and postulating that uh we've confirmed our hoshi archer uh slash archer headcanon and uh see you next week i guess